Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. We're in a series of messages on godly principles for godly living. And today we're coming to a passage of scripture that uh, reminds us of the victorious life that a believer can experience in his life as he serves the Lord. General Douglas MacArthur was asked, what is one of the most important things for a soldier to remember? And he said this, I quote, there is no substitute for victory. And I thought, my, my, my. Friend, that's exactly what Jesus Christ is telling us, that there is no substitute for the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can try anything in this world, but my friend, I want you to understand that victory that Christ gives us through the cross, through the grave, through the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, we need to understand how to live that victorious life. I'm sad to say that so many Christians today, as they're on that gospel ship sailing into the harbor of heaven, that, sadly to say, they have the white flag of surrender. Satan has attacked. And because they do not know the benefits that God has given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ, they live a defeated life. And friend, I want you to understand that when Christ arose from the grave, he arose from the grave victoriously. And when Christ comes into your life, he comes into your life with that very victory. And that's exactly what I want us to talk about today, is that victorious Christian life that God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So with your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and following, would you stand with me as we read these very verses of Scripture? Now, if you're not careful, you're going to misunderstand some of these verses of Scripture especially the way the King James describes it. And I'm going to try to explain it to you, so you just hang in there with me for a few moments. The Bible says in verse 4, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin 
because he has been born of God. What in the world is John talking about here? Well, we're going to discuss that this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before your mighty presence, thanking you so much for the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that the Spirit of God, that who lives and dwells within our heart, that he may take this voice and use it for the glory of God. May your anointing will be upon us. And may the preaching of your word will go forth like a two-edged sword. God, remind us as children of God that if we're not living in that victorious Christian life, that we're living beneath our privileges. So, Father, help us in the name of Jesus. May you be glorified in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Find it interesting in the Word of God, as the Bible speaks about the Christian life, and it talks about that we as believers are to live victoriously over Satan, over sin, as well as over self. Let me ask you a question. Are you living that victorious life? Are you living in that victorious life of where that you have found that you can defeat Satan and defeat sin and defeat all the things that Satan wants to try to throw at you? I'm sad to say that so many Christians are not experiencing that. Now, when we stop and we think about our salvation, we know that salvation is in three tenses. First of all, we realize that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. When Christ went to the cross, that there he died upon that cross and he paid that price. And so therefore, we are saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible reminds us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible reminds us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have experienced what we know as the Bible teaches that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Not only saved from the penalty of sin, but the Bible tells us that we're saved from the power of sin. The power of sin. That Satan has one ambition and one desire is to take sin and to defeat you and to discourage you, and to destroy you. And then one day, the Bible says, that we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Won't that be a great day to know that never, ever, ever, ever again, that we will be confronted with temptation, and that you'll never, ever have to say, Lord, forgive me for I have messed up again. (laughs) And so therefore, we're saved from the penalty of sin, We're saved from the power of sin, and we're saved from the presence of sin. But you know what? I think most Christians today understand and have experienced the the first and the last, but the one that's in the middle, the power of sin, I think we struggle with that. I think that we find ourselves struggling. You ever find yourself coming before the Lord and said, Lord, it's me again? 
I've messed up again. Have you ever found yourself that, that there is a certain sin that constantly seems to come and to haunt you and it seems to drag you down? Have you ever seen a time in your life, maybe more so now today than ever before, of where the attacks of Satan is upon your life? As I look around and I see that Satan is real and he's alive and he is well, and therefore he is attempting to do everything he can to keep you as a child of God to live beneath your privileges. Now, friend, I want you to understand, when Christ arose from the grave, he came forth, the Bible says, victorious over the grave, over death, over sin, over Satan. He has come victorious over those things that threatens us. And when he comes into our life, he comes with the keys of victory. And so, therefore, my friend, we need to understand what it's all about when it comes to this victorious Christian living. I remember hearing about this preacher one time, and he was preaching in a conference, and he was speaking on this very same subject. And so someone had called him on the radio station as he was being interviewed. And he said, in other words, preacher, what you were preaching about this morning, you're talking about the deeper life. There was a movement at one time known as the deeper life movement. And it was talking about this victorious Christian living. He says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, well, then what you're talking about is the victorious Christian life. That's what you're talking about. He says, no, that's not what I've been talking about. He says, well, what have you been talking about? He says, I've been talking about the Christian life. And my friend, that's exactly right. It is the Christian life. Some people think that that has been set aside just for the preacher. Some think that that has been set aside just for the evangelist. But my friend, it has been appointed unto you and to me and every child of God that we might experience this victorious Christian life. It should be normal and practical and supernatural in our life every day of our life. Amen? Amen. Let me share with you three things. Three things that I believe that the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 4. First of all, there is the victory in the cross. We've uh, uh, Andrew sung about that. And listen to what he says. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. The victory that we have in the cross. Now, we know that ever since the Lord Jesus Christ came from the womb of that Virgin Mary, that he came forth for one reason and one purpose. In fact, when he was born, the Bible says, his name shall be called Jesus, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. We're reminded that as John the Baptist laid his eyes upon Jesus for the very first time. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. So we understand that Jesus' whole purpose was to come and take away 
sins of the world. Well, let's just stop for a moment. What is sin? If somebody was to ask you the question, how would you describe or how would you define sin? Well, John would define it like this in verse 4. Whoever or whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And so, first of all, he defines sin. As lawlessness. There's not more of a powerful three-lettered word in our vocabulary than the word sin. You stop and you think about the word sin. Sin keeps our jails full and our churches empty today. Sin is what brought about the fall of man. Sin, what brought about the rebellion of Lucifer there in the heavens of glory. Sin is what brought about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is what brought about Jesus leaving the glories of heaven and coming into a sin-cursed world to take away the sins of the world. Sin. Think about sin. It says here that This is the only thing that God hates, and it's the only thing that Satan loves. Sin. Sin. But you know what? You never hear so much about sin, do you? You don't hear much about sin from our pulpits today, but you especially don't hear it in our world today. When's the last time you've read in the newspaper and says the problem with our world today is sin. When's the last time you've heard a news commentator as he talks about all of the ruckuses that has been going on in our world today? And the problem is sin. But you never hear that. It's as if that sin is a bad word and therefore we're not going to speak about it. Man calls sin an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a blunder, but God calls it blindness. Man calls sin a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls sin a chance, and God calls it a choice. Man calls sin infirmity. But yet God calls it iniquity. Man calls sin luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls sin trifle. God calls it a tragedy. My friend, I want you to understand, sin is real and it's wrecking and ruining and destroying lives everywhere we turn. And so when we think about sin, it is lawlessness. It is breaking the law, not just ordinary law, but it's breaking God's law. It is where God says, thy shall not. But man in his rebellious heart says, thy shall. And when God says, thy shall, God recognizes that in man's rebellious heart, that man says, thy shall not. Sin has literally ruined and reckoned this world. And you want to see the collision course we're on? We're headed straight to hell in a handbasket in our world today. 
you look around and you began to see all the trials and the troubles that we're finding from one nation to another nation. You're finding what's going on within our own lives or in our own world. It is lawlessness, broken laws of God. Now, rebellion can be public or it can be private. A lot of times people can rebel privately and no one knows anything about it. For example, for today, it is a sin for the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God might be working in a heart of a man today. And as an invitation is given, the Holy Spirit of God begins knocking upon that door. The door of that heart. And it's reminding you that if you'll come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you shall be saved. But because of your rebellion in your heart, you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, the only sin that will keep you out of heaven is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rebellion. Now, I heard about a little boy one time. That rebellion is not only private, but sometimes it's public. His uh, mama got on to him because he was misbehaving. And she put him there in the uh, uh, closet for him to just set aside and to just reminisce of all the bad things he's done. Well, after a little while, she came back and she said, Had you learned your lesson? He said, Mama, he said, I just want you to know one thing. He said, I spit on your shoes. I spit on your dress. He said, I spit on your coat. And he said, I'm just waiting for more spit. (laughs) My friend, that's the way a lot of people are today. They're rebellious in their heart, and in return, they rebel physically and openly. So he talks about the definition of sin. But he goes a step further, and he not only talks about the definition of sin, but he talks about the deliverance from sin. Look what he says there in verse 5. And you know that he was manifested, now look at this little phrase, to take away our sins. Underline that. To take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. No sin. Now, that word take away, it literally means to haul off. It means to haul away. It's the idea that like once a week we have the uh, garbage truck that comes around. And what he does, what does he do? He comes for one purpose, and that is to collect our garbage for that week. And he takes that garbage and he collects it. And what does he do? He hauls it away. Never again do you ever see that garbage, do you? You possibly don't even know where that garbage went. But what happened was it was hauled away. It had been taken away. My friend, I want you to understand that's exactly what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. That Jesus Christ came and he died upon the cross to take away the sins of the world. Literally, the garbage truck of taking all of our garbage and hauling it away. Never, ever, ever bringing it up before us again. I'm reminded of what Psalms 
103, verse 12. Oh, I'm so grateful for that passage of Scripture. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. In other words, he hauled it off from us. Think about it, my friend, that never, ever again will you have to be burdened with that old garbage of sin. I remember when Christ came into my life and he saved me. I felt as free as a bird. I remember that God had cleansed me and gave me a new life. And it feels as if I have been set free. And that's exactly what happened, my friend. He hauled it away, never to bring it before us again. My friend, that should excite you. That should tell you that God has delivered you. So if he has delivered you from sin, why should you have to be burdened with the defeat of sin? So he not only talked to us about the definition of sin, he not only talks to us about the deliverance of sin, deliverance from sin, but then in verse 7 and 8, he talks to us about the defeat of Satan. The defeat of Satan. Do you ever get tired of Satan slapping you around? you ever get tired of Satan constantly knocking upon your door and trying to drag and to tear you down? Listen to what he says in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Now notice what he says. That he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy. That word destroy means inoperative. It literally means to be put out of business. Did you realize that upon the cross that God put the devil out of business? Oh, Satan is alive and well today, but he knows that God has already defeated him there at the cross. He don't want you to know that, though. He don't want you to know that. You don't fight for victory. I see people always that are trying to fight for victory. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever tell us to... Fight and defeat Satan. Satan's already been defeated. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. I'm reminded of a story of General Wainwright. He was a general in the army, and he had been taken captive by the uh, Japanese army. And every single day, they would beat him and torture him. And they would abuse him. Then one particular day, the message came that Japan had surrendered. And that Japan had lost the war. Well, as normal, the Japanese soldiers would take General Wainwright and the other soldiers. And they began to try to beat them and torture them. And General Wainwright, after he had received the news, stood and he said, Stop right there. 
I am no longer your captive, but you are now my captive. I am no longer to be abused by you, but now you are under my authority. And friend, I want you to understand that's exactly what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. That when Christ defeated Satan, he put you on the winning side. And you do not have to fall to defeat to the enemy because the enemy has already lost the war. So he turns before us here the victory of the cross. But notice what else he tells us here in this passage of Scripture. Look what he says in verse 6. Not only he says there is victory through the cross, but there is victory in communion. The Bible says in verse 6, whoever abides, look at that little word, abide. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now the word abide literally means fellowship. It literally means communion. It is a perfect communion. Now, remember this. Sonship, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you establish sonship, that right there at that perfect moment, you have established a union. You and the Lord Jesus Christ are in union together. But now fellowship is when you have been established through the Lord Jesus Christ, communion. You understand what I'm talking about? Number one, we have sonship. Number two, we have fellowship. Now, here in this passage of Scripture, if you're not careful, you'll get a little confused. The Bible tells us here that he who abides in him does not sin. You say, now wait a minute, Pastor. That brings a a real major question mark in my mind. What does that mean? Some people, it thinks it means one of two things. Number one, it means that you can lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that. Number two, some people think that not only you can lose your fellowship, but that you can experience perfect perfection. It doesn't mean that. That you come to a point in place in your life that you'll never ever sin again. Well, my friend, the Bible teaches us that that is not true. Go back to verse 8. 1 John. And look at verse 8 as the Bible tells us. In chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So the Bible says, number one, I want you to understand that Just because you're saved and you have sonship, that does not mean that you're not going to sin again. Look at verse 10. The Bible tells us in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And so, when you're saved, God did not fix it where we would not sin again. God fixed it that when we do sin, we won't enjoy it. It's a big difference. So what is he talking about? Think about it for a moment. He's talking about habitual sins. He's talking about someone that is living in sin 
and therefore he habitually sins constantly. He's talking about a lost man. You stop and you think about it. A lost man habitually sins and does something good once in a while. A saved man habitually lives righteous and once in a while he sins. A big difference, my friend. So when a man of God comes and he accepts Christ as his Savior, he's established a relationship of sonship. But even more important than that, not only does he have a sonship relationship, he has what is known as a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 1 John reminds us something that is very important. He says in verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. You think about the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ comes into your life, he comes with that pure character, that characteristics, and he is to display that characteristics in your life. And so as he comes and he lives within my life, that the purity of Christ gives us the power of the cross. In other words, the closer that I am living with the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer that I am going to be pure in his likeness. The further I get away from the Lord Jesus Christ, the further that I am going to be like him. In other words, the one that you're living closer to today is the one that you're going to demonstrate in and through your life. If I live close to the Lord Jesus Christ, his character is going to be displayed in my life. If I'm living close to Satan, his character is going to be displayed in my life. I want to ask you two questions. Let's take a little simple test to find out exactly where the Lord Jesus Christ is in your life. I know I'm saved, but I am finding myself defeated in my sins. Number one, ask yourself the question, how sensitive are you to sin? How sensitive are you to sin? I tell you what, as you're close to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like a Geiger counter. And there as you begin to think about that, that, that as you begin to look upon sin, you become so sensitive that you do not want to be around sin. You're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, and somebody begins to take the Lord's name in vain. How does that affect you? You're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're living with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're having that, that fellowship with him, and somebody begins to tell a dirty joke, how does that affect you? How sensitive are you to sin? You think about Geiger counter as it is sensitive to the radioactive rock. And that the closer it gets to that rock, the more and louder it gets as it goes off. My friend... That's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God does in your life. That you become so sensitive that when sin comes in near close to you, that that, the Spirit of God goes off and he begins to make you aware of the seriousness of your direction. But not only. 
not only do I want you to see how sensitive you are to sin, but how separate are you from sin? Look what the Bible says in verse 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. In other words, he doesn't want you to be around sin at all. He are to be separate from sin. John chapter 15 verse 5 is a passage of scripture that I'm reminded of so many times in my Christian life. Number one, it talks about, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I and in him bears much fruit. I've always said that you can be a fruit watcher and that we're able to detect by others what kind of fruit that they are bearing, if they are bearing fruit. If they're not bearing fruit, there's a good chance they're not connected to the vine. But if you're connected to the vine, and there you are the branch, that you will be bearing fruit. And you stop and you think about it. If I have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ is abiding in me, and I am abiding in him, What's going to happen? It is his character is going to begin to be displayed in my life. The only thing that will hinder the fruit of the Spirit in your life is sin. Sin is almost like it separates the branch and the vine. And as it separates, it hinders the fruit from bearing. So... Friend, I want you to understand, as I think about the communion I have with the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives me the victory that Christ has given to me, not only through the cross, but through the communion. But there's a third thing that he brings to our attention. Look with me in verse 9 just for a second. Not only there is victory through the cross, there is victory in communion, but there is victory through my conversion. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Two things is true about a true born-again child of God. Number one, the supernatural position that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, talks about something that you need to be reminded of. It says you may be partakers of the divine nature. You stop and you think about it. When a child has been born into the family of God, he takes upon the nature of his father. And so therefore, you've been placed in a certain position. As a child of God, you now have experienced what is known as a partaker of his nature. I have a new nature. 
The things that I used to do, I don't want to do them anymore. The things that I used to say, I don't want to say them anymore. The things that where I used to go, I don't want to go there anymore. Why is that? It's because I have a super and superior position. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am now positioned as a child of God. You think about that. When I think about my position with the Lord Jesus Christ, how it is so superior. See, a lost man does what comes natural. A child of God does what comes supernatural. The Holy Spirit of God has placed you in a position to do superior work in and through your life. But not only you have a superior position, but you also have a superior power. Now, we all know by history that at Gettysburg was the turning point of the Civil War. And historians would tell us two things took place there at Gettysburg. The reason why the Confederates lost and the Union won was because of their superior position and also of their superior power. They were up on the ledge. They were up on the cliff. They were up on the mountain. And as the Union was fighting, the Confederate soldiers had to come and to come up. And there were like sitting ducks right before. Why? Because of their superior position. But also because of their superior power. Because they had more men, had more ammunition, they had more guns, and they were superior. Friend, I want you to understand when I think about my position in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think about the power that the Holy Spirit of God has placed in my life, I've been placed in that position. Why should I fall to defeat? Why should I live a defeated life? Why should I be a victim of the circumstances of Satan? Simply because I have now come to know Christ as, the, as my Savior, as my Lord, and that he is living and dwelling within me. The same resurrected power that brought him out of the grave is living in my heart today. The same power upon that third day is the same power. The Bible says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. So, friend, you do not have to be a victim of circumstances to defeat of the enemy. But you know what? When I think about my position and I think about my power, you know what really keeps me from yielding to sin the way that I used to? It's because of the love that I have for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a group of teenagers one time They were out partying. And as they were partying, they decided to go to this certain bar. And this one girl spoke up and says, I can't go to that bar 
because there at that bar, it has the reputation of all this that's going on, and I don't want to go, and my daddy would not approve of that. One of the young men said, Ah, you're afraid of your daddy. She said, No. I'm afraid that it would hurt my daddy. And my friend, when I think about when sin in my life, I'm not afraid of God, but I'm afraid that it might break his heart. So when I began to see the wickedness of sin, I see the beauty of the cross. When I see the wickedness of sin... Even though that as a child of God, I still have that old sinful nature. That I don't have to live in that old nature. See, you will decide which nature you're going to live in. Whether that new nature or you will live in that old nature. You will decide. But it's by and because of what you feast upon and who you're the closest to. I'm going to ask you a question. In your Christian life today, are you victorious? In your Christian life, do you have the victory over Satan? Do you have the victory over self? Do you have the victory over sin? If not, why not? If not, you're living beneath your privileges. And so today, because of the cross because of my communion that I have with Christ, and because of the conversion that I've experienced through the Lord Jesus Christ, I can stand up and say, greater is he that within me than he that is in this world. And I go forth with the flag of victory, and I'm not going to fall to defeat of the enemy. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for reminding us the wonderful, wonderful privilege of that victorious Christian life that we can experience today. Father, I believe I'm talking to a lot of Christians today. And as they are trying to live that Christian life, They find themselves falling to defeat. There is that one sin that seems to constantly creep up into their life. And they find themselves falling victims to that sin. Oh God, remind them of the privilege that they have in living in the Lord Jesus Christ. That communion, that fellowship with you. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, I encourage them today to come and to yield their life totally and completely to him that he might be Lord of their life. Lord, there may be someone here today that is lost and have never come to know you as Lord and Savior. But today is a day that you've knocked upon their door, their heart's door, and it's telling them, I love you, and if you will open up your heart and receive me, I will give you eternal life, and I can give you victory 
day by day. And by them accepting you, they receive that wonderful promise. Father, speak to us today. Move among us. There are some here that need to come and to announce that they have accepted Christ and they need to profess him through baptism. Some need to come and join our church as you have led them to be a part of the fellowship of this glorious fellowship of this church. Have thy own will and way, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.